0: One of the many fascinating insights raised by Oz Guinness at his visit to the CCL in late May was that if freedom is to be sustained in our Western culture, there's a need for transmission, the transmission of the virtues and ideas and foundations of freedom from one generation to the next. And without that transmission, without those ideas being sustained and nourished, freedom will wither and die in our culture, in our societies. And That's what he observes actually happening, that freedom is under serious threat in Western culture. And it's largely a matter of the fact that the foundations of freedom have not been passed on, have not been nourished and spread from one generation to the next. It was one of the many fascinating points he made in his talk at the CCL on May 30. And on that note, stay tuned for a special podcast with excerpts of Os Guinness's talks. That'll be coming up soon. But his point about transmission leads into today's episode, which is about the transmission of the Christian faith, of passing on Christian belief and Christian practice to the next generation, to our children. Now, this, of course, is the role of parents, but it's not just the role of parents. And in today's podcast, we'll be talking about how raising and training the next generation is not just the responsibility of parents. It takes a church to train children in the way they should go. Hello, I'm Tony Payne and welcome to the Centre for Christian Living podcast, coming to you from Moore College in Sydney, Australia. Our goal in this episode, I think we're up to episode 16, is the same as in everyone, it's to bring biblical ethics the framework of how the Bible thinks about the way we should act and live and be, to bring that framework to the everyday issues we face as Christian people in the world. And the issue we're going to bring it to today is the raising and training of children, something that we're very aware of if we're parents, but also something we should be very aware of just by virtue of being members of the Christian community. That's the point that our guest today wants to make about the raising and training of children, but before we get to that, let's introduce him.
1: I'm Peter Tong. I work at Moore College on the faculty for two days a week. I teach in the New Testament department and mostly teaching this year uh, first year Greek. I do that on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And then the rest of the days in the week, I work as a minister at St. Andrews Warunga And there I look after the night service, uh, share with the preaching, help with kids church and youth group and a whole range of other things.
0: Peter, we're talking today about raising godly children, raising godly yeah. kids, passing on the faith to the next generation. Mm. Why is this a passion of yours?
1: Well, it's a passion of mine uh, some of the time. A lot of the time through the week, it's it's not a passion at all. Um, I get up early on a Sunday morning and I think of um, kids coming to kids' church. I'm, I'm pre- prepping my scripture class and um, picturing all the, the questions and um, the chaos that can sometimes reign. It's not always a passion, uh, but when you see... Uh, the gospel click for kids, it can be a passion.
0: So if it's not a passion, is it more like a a job, a task, a, a chore, a responsibility? How would think, you, res- you characterize it?
1: Yeah, I think a responsibility is a good way to put it. Um, I remember, and this, this clicked for me at a conference on kids' ministry about five or six years ago, and uh-huh. we, we'd we come to a discussion group time in the conference, and we were each introducing ourselves. And just the where I was sitting in the group, I was going last, and so I listened to ten or twelve people go around the circle. They introduced themselves and said, um, "You know, hi, I'm I'm Cindy, and I'm passionate about kids ministry, and this is why I'm at the conference." And then there'd be, "Hi, I'm John. I'm passionate about youth ministry, and, and this is why I'm at the conference." And th- that phrase kept uh, kind of ringing a little little bell in my head. And so by the time it came around to my turn, I thought, "I'm going to make a point here." And so I said, "I'm Pete, and I'm I'm not passionate about kids ministry." But I'm here because it's my responsibility as a minister, responsibility as a father to think carefully about how to train the next generation in our church to uh, know the gospel, accept the gospel and and to trust God. Um, I think when we talk about, say, children's ministry or youth ministry or, or any kind of ministry in terms of passion or not passionate, it can create some difficulties with how the rest of the church view that kind of ministry. And that language is right through kids ministry. The people who are passionate step forward. They're the ones who volunteer. And if you were at the end of one year to say, we need to grow our kids ministry team, we want people who are passionate about kids straight away, a good number in the church will switch off. And they'll think, well, that's fine. That's not for me. I'm not passionate about kids, so I don't need to do that. (laughs) and then, <laughs> Especially if
0: you're a parent, your phrase might be more, I'm utterly worn out by kids as opposed right. to being passionate about a kids. A parent
1: or a teacher. Yeah. yeah who are with oh, kids last or, thing I want to
0: do is more kids.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it also creates trouble for those who are passionate at the time they sign up. But then as the year goes on or two, three years go on and their passion for kids tends to wane. The first thing they think is, okay, well, it's time for me to tap out and let other passionate people come in. So in, in my church and in the, the ministry conversations I have, I try and talk about responsibility. And I think that's a much more helpful way to frame this discussion. And it probably is for lots of areas of ministry as well. Evangelism, um, in this case, raising kids, youth ministry. Uh, we have a responsibility as adults who know and trust the Lord. To raise the next generation to know and trust the Lord as well.
0: Intuitively, that sounds right to me, Peter. But uh, biblically, where would you anchor that to say that we have a responsibility not just as parents, but you know, as adults, as a Christian community, to raise the next generation?
1: Well, let's let's start with the parents first of all, because I think the primary responsibility does fall on Christian parents, and um, you know that pattern comes from the Old Testament Deuteronomy. Um, there's several passages there where they're talking about the scenario of children asking their parents, why do we do these things? Why do we have this festival? Why do we you know eat this food, follow these laws? And that's the occasion for the parents in the context of their household, to explain to the children what God has done in the past. Um, that, that comes through into the New Testament as well. Um, fathers are to train their children in, in the knowledge of the Lord. Um, it's up to Christian parents to to raise their children to know and love the Lord. I think that's still the primary responsibility rather than farming it out to a school to do that or farming it out to kids' church leaders to take that place. It still is beholden upon parents. But when we emphasise that a lot, and I think that has been emphasised, especially in a lot of the discussions that I've had and um, the people who have trained and taught me, What we can also miss then is a wider generational view and responsibility. And so I've been struck by Psalm 78. Um, Psalm 78 is really taking the whole generation of adults and encouraging them to tell the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord to the next generation growing up. And I wonder if that's something that that we just might have missed a little bit more recently in our church life. Uh, that all the adults have a role to, to play in raising all the children as Christians.
0: Psalm 78 is a very long psalm, isn't it? And it, it's, it's not the kind of happy, positive story that we imagine passing on to our children about, about the faith. It's actually quite a negative story of how the previous generations um, messed things up so totally and were so treacherous even to, to God and all that he'd done it's an interesting model of what it means to pass on.
1: Yeah, well it is, Psalm 78 and there's other passages as well remind us that it it is just possible for people to know what God has done, perhaps even experience or see firsthand what God has done and then at another time in their life down the track to turn away from God or to forget it, um, to not obey, to, to walk away and worship worship other things. And so this psalm comes at a time in Israel's history where people had seen firsthand the Exodus, but they come into the desert and they grumble. They see what God has done even in the desert, but they turn away from God. And um, that's why the the first third of the psalm is the application. It's telling the generation to pass on the praiseworthy deeds of the lord to the next generation and there's a few little clues in there about why that's in or, or how to do it so it's not just passing information um, there's the phrase in there so that they would put their trust in god i think that's a helpful one for us to remember we're not just passing bible stories to our children but we need to teach them and raise them in such a way that they actually come to trust god and it's a relationship Um, then it kind of develops a little bit more that they would trust him and they would keep his commandments so it's not just a relationship but it's a relationship that will be expressed with faith and obedience and then the sort of the last two-thirds of the psalm are well, let me tell you about what's happened to previous generations they've seen stuff, they've experienced God's grace and his power yet they've walked away and that's the big warning Um, so I think of the families in our church I think of the kids who are in our church Uh, There's a sense in which they know about God, they know some Bible stories, and we need to do much more than just stop there. They know the information about God. Uh, They need to uh, hear about God in such a way that they trust him and so that they will obey him. So that, and you know, coming from Psalm um, 78, so that when the time comes, They won't take a backward step in the in the day of struggle, in the day of temptation, uh, in in the day of persecution, or whatever it is that the relationship with God is there.
0: Mm -hmm. So, what sort of things are we wanting to pass on? You're talking there about knowledge and about response. Um, You're passing on a knowledge of the faith, a knowledge of who God is and what He's done, but you're also passing on that this knowledge of faith requires response, requires repentance and obedience. In concrete terms, what sort of things are we passing on?
1: Well, I think um, fleshing out the idea of that they would trust God. And I think that comes in two layers in the Christian life. Of course, it starts with the gospel, uh, receiving the gospel and coming into God's family, coming into God's kingdom. Many times, though, uh, we can see children become Christians or teenagers become Christians, and then we breathe breathe a big sigh of relief, and then we sit back and think, okay, our main work is done. They've expressed some kind of faith in God. Um, And that that always needs to be the first step, so explaining the gospel of grace and mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. But many, um, very often, in God's mercy, he'll give us many, many more years with that individual, perhaps in your family or in your church there could be decades to come after someone has expressed kind of faith and trust in God through the gospel. So then we think about how do we grow a Christian or how do we help a young person grow in their trust and knowledge of God? And I guess two of the bread and butter ways are learning to pray and learning to read the Bible for themselves. And they'll go hand in hand, they'll bounce off each other, they'll grow and develop that they'll interact with each other, but they're probably two of the bread and butter ways that any Christian grows. Uh, we, we know that with adults, um, it's true for children. We just need to think a little bit more carefully about how to actually apply that in the world of a of a child who's growing and developing at quite a rapid rate at different times.
0: So we've got those two basic areas, learning to read the Bible, learning to you know, absorb God's word for ourselves, learning to respond to him in prayer. Why don't we start with reading the Bible? If you're wanting to train that next generation and pass on what that means to kids, how would you go about that? teaching them to read the Bible?
1: Yeah, well, I've, I guess, stumbled upon um, a way of training um, people to to do things that's quite holistic. And I think it's because I've tried one thing and it hasn't quite worked. And so I've tried Method B and I've tried Method C and then circled back to Method A. Um, looking back and thinking about that, I think probably the three key aspects in training anyone to do anything involve a little bit of instruction, a little bit of modeling and example, and then some, some training, some actual practical work to do. So let's say you're learning to ride a bike. Um, you might need some instruction, you know, put your foot here, press here, turn the handlebars here, but if that was all it was, you couldn't expect a child to jump on the bike and, and, and ride off. So they might need to see it in practice, and so you might jump on the bike and, and ride around in front of them so they've got something to model on. But then the time will come when they have to sit on the seat and, and turn the pedals for themselves. Now, to go from nothing to riding instantly, of course, is a huge leap. So we think of lots of training things we can do. Training wheels are invented to, so the kids learn by the doing. So I try and imp- apply those three areas of learning to training kids to read the Bible. There'll be some things we instruct them on. What is God's word? What does it contain? But that enough won't motivate really anyone to to actually get into God's word. They need um, to see examples of, of other people reading God's word and feeding on God's word, being changed by God's word. Then when it comes to actually opening up this book, this big book could be an intimidating book for kids. How do I engage with this? Well, let's give you a tool, a tool that helps you as a child learn by the doing of it. Uh, This is where kids' Bibles comes in. They're they're really tools, uh, like training wheels on a bike. So you can learn the habits, you can start turning the wheels and riding around in a basic way, so you're learning the habits of of how to do it later on. And so with those three categories, um, I sit and I, I talk to parents at church, I talk to our kids' church leaders, and we think in those three categories, what can we do creatively but also faithfully and use each of them together to train young children from three, four, five, you know, right through um, to teenagehood, out of school and so on, to read the Bible and, and by the end be loving God's Word and learning how to feed themselves on God's Word.
0: Now you may be wondering at this point, yes, I do want to read the Bible with kids, but which Bible? There are just so many children's Bibles. How do I choose? Uh, Peter's going to make some comments about what makes a particularly good kid's Bible in just a moment as the interview proceeds. But we also asked him to make some specific recommendations for kids' Bibles that he thinks are good and worth using, and we're going to put those in the show notes for this episode. So go there to see links to some good kids' Bibles. Uh, We're also going to put some links there to some other really useful resources, storybooks, children's books, and so on, uh, that you might want to check out as well. And kind of in lieu of a book special this month, that's where uh, you'll find those information in the show notes. Now, if you don't know what show notes are, um, there's a page for each one of these podcasts on our CCL website. So if you go to ccl.more.edu.au to our website and scroll down a bit, you'll find that this episode, episode 16, is is featured there on the homepage. And if you click that link and go to the, the page for this particular episode and scroll down a bit, you'll find all sorts of information about the episode including all these links and you'll also find a transcript of the whole episode Um, i've been hearing from people that they didn't realize that we did this but there's a transcript of the whole episode also available on that page for this episode but back to children's bibles i interrupted peter just as he was about to talk about what really makes for a good kids bible
1: Um, the marks of a good kids bible i think are ones that keep in mind the whole story of the bible so there's a there's a thorough thread of biblical theology running all the way through and i think this is one reason why the bible can feel like a an intimidating or foreign book one of the barriers to bible reading is actually not being able to connect up different stories and so you dip in one day and you're meeting david and goliath you you dip in the next day and peter's in a boat and children can find that really confusing to fit that all together. And some Bibles are so episodic that there's no connection between them. Now, that there, there might be a role for them to teach those individual stories, but a good kid, a good kids Bible will, will run the thread all the way through. And many many are doing that. Um, that, that I mean, that's one thing. I think good kids church, uh, good kids Bibles as well might build into. into the Bible itself, some reflection. So some might have a prayer beforehand. And that's really important because it's training children to pray before you read the scriptures. This is a spiritual book. 1 Corinthians 2 says we can't actually understand God's word without the spirit. Um, There might be after the story questions that help reflect and apply. And... Those are the things that take the Bible from just one other book that we read, one other story that children encounter through the week at school or on TV or online, and shows that this book is different. We need to pray to the author of the book, our Heavenly Father, to help us understand. And once we're finished reading, we need to apply this story in a way we don't apply other stories. So a good kid's Bible will have biblical theological application application that takes it from wherever it is in the scriptures um, within the context of the overarching story of the Bible and the Old Testament pointing in through Christ and then applying that in in relevant ways.
0: As you say, it's a parental responsibility. How does a church uh, or a Christian community as a whole exercise that responsibility to help the growing generation learn to read and absorb that story in the Bible for themselves?
1: Yeah, well, I think that um, there there comes a point developmentally where kids might believe things simply because that is their family. That's the family they're growing up in and they're at a point or an age where they just don't know any different. There comes a time developmentally where it becomes really important that what they've learned in their family is validated by seeing other families, other adults, other significant people believing the same things. And this is where a wider church family can play a really crucial role in the raising of godly kids. And when I say wider church family, I mean that in the widest possible sense, other adults, other adults of the generation above, perhaps, you know, grandparent generation, um people who are adults without children, married couples, single people, teenagers if that if that is slightly older. Um, all of them together can play a huge role in raising kids, raising godly kids and helping them to read the Bible. At the level of example, um, the example can be passed in lots of different ways. I can be reading my Bible in front of you and you happen to walk past and see me, so you're seeing that, that, that physical example. There are other ways I can demonstrate a life lived under the authority of God's word and that is just as vital as well. So as you introduce your children to a church community, uh, there you want to have lots of adults, some in the nuclear family, many outside of the nuclear family who are demonstrating a life lived under the authority of God's word. And then, it, then it's up to the church community to think creatively about how do we uh, make the most of these sorts of examples? So who's teaching Kids Church? Um, are there are a variety of people in there Um, What do we do if children start in the church service for 10 minutes, 15 minutes? What are they picking up from how adults are interacting with each other? What is said from the front? All of that can be used as opportunities to share examples of this broad thing called living under the authority of God's word. When you do social things, when there's hospitality, all are possible opportunities for adults to demonstrate life lived under the authority of God's word for the younger generation. So there's that. There's also, there is the the seeing adults doing it. And so when children walk into church, are they seeing the scriptures as central to whatever happens in the time they're in there? In kids' church, there is the instruction from God's Word, and, and so on and so on.
0: I think I'd also say when children see adults relating to one another outside the church gathering, and I don't just mean in the morning tea afterwards, I mean in our homes, in our lives, in our everyday lives, when they see Christian adults engaging with one another and speaking about the things of God, talking about what they're reading, um, applying some aspect or discussing some aspect of the word with one another, um, that presents a very powerful example that this word that we regard as so shaping of every of everything is actually something that's on our lips all the time It's not just we something we do in church on Sunday or even something we might do devotionally at the beginning of the day for ten minutes it's It's the word that's constantly on our lips.
1: Yeah, and it should be the most natural thing for Christians, one to another, to share what they've read about, thinking about, challenged by, in God's word. And whether it's around a lunch table after church on a Sunday where kids and adults are all sharing the meal, why not be talking about God's word through the week? Um, Sharing with your children. um, I read this this morning, and this is how it's going to make a difference in my life. Or i will be thinking, I'll have... This question, I can't quite get to the bottom of it. What, what do you think? Um, all of those are opportunities for modeling. It should be the most natural thing to do. For some reason, this barrier of awkwardness has, has crept up. We like to compartmentalize our faith on Sundays and sometimes even from our children. But they that is the very way in which children learn that some of these powerful lessons about the place of God's Word in somebody's life.
0: I suspect it's compartmentalized for us because... Even in our own heads as, as adults, as believing adults, those two stories run in parallel very often. A story where God is sovereign and created the world um, and revealed his word and saves and redeems the world through the Lord Jesus Christ. That story, a story that gives the world a particular shape. And the secular story that we just live and breathe every minute of the day, which is a godless story. A story yeah. where humanity creates its own future, gives value to its own world. Creates its own values and actualizes its own self. Yeah. Um, a world in which God is entirely absent is a is a non-factor. Yep. That story is in our heads all the time too, and so we flip between the two of them in our heads, and we we get to this we get into this mode where we just live and talk and act as if God is not there, mm. um, while all this time while well, obviously actually believing that He's there. So we sort of seem to like me that we slip in and out in and out of these streams.
1: Yeah, and, and I guess you could see raising children as um, two competing stories uh, coming through or raising Christian children. There's two competing stories coming through their minds and hearts. Uh, one has a lot of airplay. It comes through school, online, media, friends. It's the worldly story. And then there's God's story. And we need to work double time to allow that story to have you know anything near the airtime that the story of the world, the stories of the world. And um, that's why if we equivocate as parents in living out a life under God's word, what hope can we have, Psalm 78, for the next generation? Um, How will their faith go in times of testing if they see us equivocating between these two stories? And, um, you know, children pick up everything. They pick up so much. I mean, you know this is... If you're a parent...
0: Unfortunately, they pick up everything. That's
1: right. You're having a conversation in the kitchen or in the front of the car, and they're listening back there. Um, But they pick up positive things as well. And this is where, again, the church community can play a really positive role. Um, So are we creating opportunities for adults, mature Christian adults, to be interacting in a variety of ways with the younger generation? Some it might be formal teaching in a kids' church setting. But there's, you know, a whole host of other ways you can make that happen. And that's up to you and your churches to be creative in in how to do that.
0: Well, we've ended up talking for quite a while about what makes for a good kid's Bible and how we train children in not only reading the Bible, but responding to God's word. Uh, We need to get on to the other main topic that Peter wants to get to, which is prayer. Before we do that though, a quick reminder about two things. The first is about our next CCL event coming up on August the 20th called Spirit Inspired Christian Living. Philip Jensen is going to be our speaker and let me just read you something from the kind of introductory blurb that we've put together about this event. What does the Spirit want Christians to do? What does the Spirit enable Christians to do? There are two common errors in answering these common questions. At one extreme, humanistic Christians have no place at all for the Spirit, but lay burdens of morality upon us. At another extreme, mystical Christians expect the Spirit to magically solve all our problems. But what does the Spirit-inspired scriptures tell us to expect about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? It's a really important question, and just putting it like that, you realise it's something that perhaps you haven't thought through as fully as you might have, and that this would be a great event to come to. Philip Jensen is doing a lot of thinking about this at the moment. He's in the middle of writing a book about the Holy Spirit, uh, and he will speak on spirit-inspired Christian living, what it really is, and more importantly, how you can live it, on August the 20th at Moore College. And for all the details, go to ccl.moore.edu. and you can get tickets there and register for the live stream as well. The second quick thing to remind you about is just to remember to spread the word about this podcast. If you've been enjoying uh, listening to these episodes, then there's a couple of ways you can pass on the the good news. You can rate this particular podcast on iTunes. That helps to surface it and make it more noticeable to others. Or of course, you can just share it with your friends. Share the link to the podcast on Facebook or or just send the link by email to one of your friends. Don't keep it to yourself. Uh, Tell other people about this podcast so more people can benefit. But back to the next topic of our conversation, which is prayer. How can we teach our children a dependent attitude of faith that's expressed in prayer?
1: Well, I think in the same categories. And it's because um, right. I, you know, I need to be concrete in the way I, I kind of approach these things. And so I think instruction, what do we teach children? What do we actually teach them from the Bible about what prayer is? And this is where you might raise questions of who do we pray to? What's the content of your prayers? Why do we pray? There's instruction. Um, Depending on the age of the children, though, modelling, they might learn much more from modelling than what they're told in terms of being instructed. And then, um, because prayer, although it should be natural, um, children suffer from all the barriers in praying that adults do as well, they are sinful they are forgetful, they are busy, they are tired, Um, their minds aren't shaped by the Word of God, so those priorities are not lined up with God's purposes. All those things that that tangle up an adult's prayer life, tangle up a child's prayer life as well, and so we need to train them. What are some basic tools we can put into a child's hands and lips to help them learn what prayer is by by the doing of prayer? I think Jesus teaches prayer in, in these categories. There's there's probably others, but there's at least these three. So sometimes he will tell his disciples specifically, when you pray, do this, say this. Uh, that's instruction. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray through modeling. Um, at the end of Mark 1, people are coming from the villages around for healing. And Jesus uh, goes to a quiet place to pray. He's modeling that in the busyness of life, there is another priority there, his relationship with his father and his own faithfulness and obedience to his father. Um, He models um, in John 17, praying uh, this great high priestly prayer for believers. And he's doing that within earshot of the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is praying. So, The disciples learnt a lot about prayer just by sitting back and watching and listening. That's the example. But then um, Jesus also gives them a tool. I guess this is what the Lord's prayer is, one way of thinking of the Lord's prayer. The question is, Lord, teach us to pray. And he doesn't give them instruction. He doesn't say, well, you sit there and listen to what I do. He says, well, when you pray, pray like this. The Lord's prayer doesn't cover every possible conceivable prayer but it's a prayer that he puts in their hands that they can pray and as they pray that prayer they're learning about what prayer is they're learning about the priorities of god's kingdom god's name god's glory they're learning that as they're praying so thinking about children um, whether the you know you think of the age of the child but what are the tools that you can give them it might be just a basic couple of initials for different topics of prayer thanks praise um, confession those sorts of things Um, it might be some prayers that you write for your children, um, that you write for your scripture class. You might write the prayer out because in scripture they may not be used to praying or pray, so here, pray, pray this prayer. Um, it might be a little bookmark that you put in with your Bible that as you have finished reading the Bible story, the bookmark then helps us think about what do we pray for in light of God's word. They're just tools. That's all they are but they're tools that help children learn by the doing. And as they're doing that, they're watching your example. They're listening to the prayers in church. This is why I think if your church is one that has children in for the beginning or the end or at some point, you need to be really careful about everything that happens in that time. And so if there are prayers within that time, a prayer of confession or a prayer of praise, or even just that introductory kind of welcoming prayer, It all needs to be accessible because if the children are there, they're learning something. Now, are they learning when we're in church, there's a long prayer and I don't get what it means? Maybe. Or are they learning just some of the basic building blocks of what prayer is? They're always picking it up. It doesn't mean that all the prayer within a church service needs to be in that frame of mind because they might go out and then you can pray different kind of prayers. But whenever they're in, you need to have the eye to the example that the children are picking up.
0: So, if you decided that a simple model for teaching prayer might be you know the old thanks sorry, please," for mm. example uh you could model the prayers that happen in that early part of the church service when the children are there, just model them on that pattern so that it's being reinforced all the time that that's what prayer means it it's a response of thanksgiving to all for all that God has done for us and other it's it's always responsive it comes to God acknowledging that we're sinners and it comes to God trustingly asking for uh what is necessary for the body as well as the soul, as it says in the Bible.
1: Absolutely. And when, and when a minister does that or the, or the person leading does that, it's not condescending to the kids. It's actually loving to them. Um, it's not a quaint way of starting or a cute way, I'll start with this kid's way. It's actually loving to the children. If you're asking for them to be part of church, we need to communicate in ways that they understand. As an extra benefit, if your church has people... Um, who are not Christians, or they're trying to work out what the Christian faith is, or they're exploring, or they're new Christians. Breaking things down into very clear modeling practices helps them enormously as well. So we do them because they're loving, and we do them because that actually trains up the next generation. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, it's a it's a little bit... Um, you know, it's just quaint or cute to do it this way, but it's actually a really helpful way to do it if the children are there or if you have visitors there.
0: I guess I want to conclude by asking: um, everything you've said is is really helpful and um, and encouraging. It's almost making me feel passionate about children's ministry. You know? Almost, it's, almost. I, I don't want to be doing that. <laughs> no, no, no. But it's helping. It certainly helped me see that the responsibility for raising the next generation is something that's shared broadly within a congregation. Mm. Uh, and that cons- that is multifaceted. It consists not just of instruction but also of setting an example, which is a huge part of it, that we can all be involved in all the time, and of particular training tools. But I imagine that many listeners will be feeling a little bit like I feel, not only as they look at their current efforts or past efforts as parents, uh, or their efforts to be involved in this as a church community, will feel inadequate or feel like a bit of a failure, that we haven't done as well at this as we would have liked uh, And that we also look at our children and at the children of our congregation and we see that despite our efforts, some of them don't grow up to follow the Lord, don't grow up to be readers and prayers, and don't choose that path. How do we respond to that? How do we deal with the challenge that this is also not only something we might begin to be passionate about or certainly feel responsible for, but something that's hard and something that that sometimes doesn't take with our kids?
1: Yeah, well, I guess... Uh, raising children to trust Jesus is um, easiest to talk about when none of them are, are near us right now. We're, we're in a room and we can just talk about all these ideas. And um, from time to time, I, I, I think through little seminars like this for church and I can make it, um, I can get all my best ideas and put them down and present it. But it can be discouraging. Um, so I just when, when um, parents feel that or ministers feel that and ministers realize I've actually left a large part of ministering to my church um, to one side because I've not thought about kids' ministry for a long, long time, but actually that's part of raising uh, the family of God as well. Um, when we get to that point, we need to realize that all ministry is bigger than us. And it's easy to talk about in neat categories. It's easy to talk about being deliberate and intentional. And in our best moments, let's pray that we are. It's important
0: to be. It's Absolutely. important to talk about those things. And to wonder how can we do better in these things? Yeah. But. Yeah.
1: But um, we've got some great models right through the scriptures where God is showing us in his story again and again that he's the one in charge. And if raising children as Christians was as easy as following a, a bunch of steps, even if there was a lot of steps, we would do it um, because we love our kids and we want them to, to be Christians at the end. But this is a spiritual battle. Um, it's one reason why reading the, the scriptures is difficult. It's because the devil wants to take God's word out of a listener's ear. That's what we learn in the parable of the soils. He plucks the seed away. So There's a spiritual battle here. And so we need to be praying for our children as we read the scriptures with them and train them Um, we also need to take that bigger step back that paul does in 1 corinthians 3 and say in the bigger picture of the life of a person um, who is the one that's going to make things grow if they are to grow and that's that's of course god one might be the the planter one might be the waterer in the end god makes things grow and I think that's a really helpful dynamic for us to remember. It takes us right back to full circle. The starting point in any Christian journey is receiving the gospel of grace. Sometimes we can think that, well, the growing as a Christian is where I take over or where, the, where I encourage the individual to take over. And yes, we, we uh, participate in our own growth as Christians. We want children who become teenagers and become adults to participate in their own growth. But it is still by the grace of God through the Spirit.
0: It never ceases to be His work. Never
1: ceases to be His work. And that, that's probably the best place to bring a discussion like this um, to an end because it means that we trust God uh, when it's going well and we never pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, isn't, isn't that great? And when things are not going well, we are continuing to trust God as well. That applies for your own children, but it doesn't take too many steps to apply that to all the people in your network that you're trying to minister to. Um, You might just be planting the seed or watering a seed, but we are relentlessly praying and trusting God because he is the one that makes things grow.
0: Well, that's all for this episode of the Centre for Christian Living podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast at iTunes or Stitcher or Overcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a comment or a review. That's always a helpful thing to do. And if you have any questions or topics that you want to raise with us, either questions about this podcast that you'd like us to answer or topics that you'd like us to deal with in other podcasts, please get in touch and give us feedback. We always really enjoy hearing from you. You can email us at ccl at And of course, go to our website, ccl.more.edu.au for notes, for links, transcripts, for the show notes for uh, this episode, and for lots of other great resources that are on our website as well. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now.